Well, Philippa, thank you so much. Thank you, Nyari. I think that was amazing. 110,000 women on that database is phenomenal. And I can hear my youngest son going, please recruit my mom so she can get off my back about my homework and what I need to do. But Philippa, thank you so very much for sharing your story. Now, from redeeming recruitment to redeeming the startup landscape, we're going to talk to Paul Kim today, who's sitting right next to me, and not Dr. Imevbor, who has unfortunately contracted COVID, and we do wish him a very quick recovery. Paul is a co-founder and CEO of Redemptive Capital, a small investment firm focusing on supporting companies that seek the flourishing of low-income South Africans and their families. He is an actuary by trade, uh, but has built up expertise in startups, behavioral economics, and redemptive design. And Paul, i got to say, for those emails that I regularly get from you, thank you very, very much. I do read them, and I do appreciate them. Um, Paul, I, I try to sum up what you do in a one-liner. I don't think I did it justice. So maybe as we get into our discussion today, what is it that you do from your perspective? Yeah, thank you, Michael. Uh, to be honest, I think we're still figuring that out. Um, <laughs> so my name is Paul. Uh, I'm married to Jill and we have three pets and we live in Belleville. And in the turbulence of 2020, uh, three partners, myself, Peter Vassafar and Loki Fenter started Redemptive Capital. And the idea was really, how do we rethink what startups need in this country for the benefit of low-income workers in South Africa? So there's a couple of unique characteristics that we um, intentionally put into place at the beginning to ensure that uh, we don't go awry from our mission. So firstly, we are 100% owned by a PBO, Aslan Trust. And that is a really interesting tension for us because every year or every time we deploy capital, we've got to think, should we rather give this money away? Or should we rather use it to fund a company that can potentially solve the problem sustainably? So that's the one. Second, we call ourselves a full-stack investor. What that means is you don't come to us for money alone. Money is one of the things that we provide. But we look at each company and we ascertain what is missing to increase the probability of success. And anywhere from CEO services, product management, even software development, we uh, find or we provide on, um, their beho- on our behalf. Um, and then lastly, uh, Peter and I and Loki, uh, God willing, we're in this for life. Um, so Peter Eternity, I, not just life, eternity. Eternity. <laughs> uh, Peter and I are both actuaries. So we, one of the first things we get taught is the power of compounding. And I, I think a lot of people are aware of that from their financial planner. And the interesting thing about compounding is uh, if you grow at 10% a year, every seven years you double, okay. which over a 49-year period, 49 period, which means that the last seven years is 50% of your total growth. Wow. Okay, so you're doubling in the last seven years, which means and from an impact perspective, we've, if we can bait fuss for that long, that last seven years of our attempts here on earth actually doubles the impact that we've had in the previous 42 years. So we believe that w- we need to stand up and commit to the problems of South Africa for or until we get called back uh, in order to create change in South Africa. And interesting that the Bible talks about the Jubilee year also being the seventh year. So maybe yeah, there's some actuarial science in that. I've learned something today, Paul. Thank you from a medical perspective anyway. I hope we're going to get into answering the question you posed right up front, the challenge you guys have in terms of do we give the money away? way or do we invest it for a bigger return for the kingdom so if you're going to answer that brilliant if you're not i'm going to swing back and ask you that question but you have said something which struck me in the past and you said this uh, the rise of charity the need to give money away is a reflection on business forgoing its responsibility i love that statement would you unpack that a bit for me 
So I think we need to take a step back and think that God designed these different organizations for a purpose. So it's business wasn't created by man. Mm-hmm. Charity wasn't created by man. So they were intentionally available from God's I- library of IP for us to utilize. What we have seen, though, is a huge rise in charities. And so my comment is nothing to do with charities. They are a critical supporting component in a post-fallen world. They often prevent total collapse in the environments that they operate in but what has happened is business has shied away from the risk of serving the world in a holistic way Mm. Um, and so two anecdotes and maybe a a thought experiment to consider so the two anecdotes is Andy Crouch a famous uh, Christian uh, author Um, he says and since the 1990s uh, maternity fatality has dropped in developed countries by about 50%. 50%. In the US, the opposite has happened. It's increased by 50%, which means that that's not a technology problem. Hmm. That's a business problem of getting the right technology to the right places in a, in a cost-efficient way. It's just not happening. If you think about food in our, in our world today, we have enough food. I mean, so many companies, unfortunately, had to throw the food away. Uh, so many companies dumped their products in other countries. There's enough food, but why are people hungry and dying from malnutrition? Well, it's because business, again, hasn't stepped up to the plate to make Mm -hmm. sure that the dynamics gets the food to the right place at the right time at the right price. You're right. We can feed the world with the food we throw away. You can, and that's a business challenge. That's not a charity challenge. Um, Mm -hmm. Then the thought experiment is imagine you're Adam and Eve. You're in the Garden of Eden. Imagine Eve and Adam didn't fall into the trap that the snake set before them. I was going to say, is this before the fig leaf or after the fig leaf? Because you know, you've given me this mind picture. So, yeah. Sure. Um, <laughs> Paul, I'm messing with you. But yeah. what would have happened afterwards? Because they were given a mandate in Genesis 1, 27 to 29. What would have had merged is uh, the first work multiply would have resembled a business. As they multiplied work, as they took what they learned in the Garden of Eden and expanded into the wilderness, business would have arisen in order to multiply those good effects. Charity may have existed. I, I'm still on the fence as to whether it would have. But business would have been the primary vehicle of going from a garden to the city. And so what's missing now, why are charities rising to the surface? Well, it's because business has abdicated responsibility. So it, behind every charity, if you scratch beneath the surface, you'll see somewhere along the line, business, uh, business has failed. And the scary thing is, unfortunately, um, this idea behind ethical and redemptive, which I think a speaker later is going to talk about, is... Most Christians think that making money biz- from business to give it away is the primary role of a business leader. And that's quite popular these days. The problem is, subtly, they're still reinforcing the idea that a mess can be made as long as you pay for it to be cleaned up later mm-hmm. on. And that is potentially reinforcing a lot of things that are negatively happening. Junk food, free market, people buy their own, make their own decisions. You come from a health environment, right? Yeah. But now we're sitting with NHI and medical issues on the other side, and we can't afford that. Yeah. Those two are related. Yeah. Now all of a sudden, lights went on because what you're talking about is prevention versus cure. Yeah. Prevention any day over cure. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Okay. So your comment was not against charity. Just no, want to no, clarify no. that it was, uh, and not all against business. It was challenging business to say, guys, there's a responsibility the that you need to live up to. I love that. Yeah. It's a monumental task. What you, you know? What you've set out with your partners to do, and the question is. Can one man do it? You know, ask Bishop Tutu, he'll say yes. Uh, but, but does it take one man? Does it take many men? I mean, how are you going to change the world with this idea? Sure. So there's a couple of principles and then a practical framework to consider. Uh, and the short answer to it is one man did it. 
and that answer is in Jesus, and I'll get back to that just now, but sh- it, it isn't meant for one human to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so some principles, the first one uh, is... Uh, uh, By the way, I've got to tell you, I'm loving this actual conversation because there's always two principles, you know, one man. They, I, I love the kind of structure, so this is fantastic. I'm making up the numbers as I go. <laughs> um, so we are not penguins in the Sahara. Okay. And what I mean with that is, if you look at Genesis 1, 27 to 29, humans were the only created being made in the image of our God and given the mandate to go forth, yeah. to go forth, explore the world, to subdue it, to fill it, to multiply it, and so on and so forth. So as daunting as the challenge is, we, we must realize as Christians, as humans, that we are the only ones that have been given the potential and the tool set to be able to do this, mm. irrespective of the challenge. And the second bullet point underneath that is, if you think that's daunting, just remember that most people don't realize the Garden of Eden was a confined space in the wilderness. That was where all the, f- all the greenery was. Mm. So the idea was Adam, imagine putting yourself in Adam's shoes. He had to take what he learned in the Garden of Eden and expand it to cover the entire earth mm. and then move on to the city. So as challenging it was for us, it, we've already been given tools that would have allowed Adam to accomplish mm. that. So... That would be You're step we have one. a jump start. Yeah. We have a jump start. D-Day has already happened. So we know from looking back at World War II, D-Day was a critical turning point where we broke through the German forces. In the same way, for us, the cross is that. Jesus has broken through Satan's defensive lines. He has broken through and has defeated sin and he has defeated death, which means that there is hope, that there is a turning point. There is a turning point and we are it. Well, Jesus is it and we're following in his wake. Mm. The third is the better tomorrow is real and certain. And that's very important because it gives us a hope for keeping on. Mm. The reason why I say that is Revelations 21 and 22 talks about Jesus' second coming and the new heavens and the new earth. But it doesn't talk about it in terms of a potential scenario. It talks about it as a certainty, Mm. which means that all trajectories end up in the same point, Jesus' second coming, and the new heavens and the new earth. Mm. So either you're on that trajectory or you're against it and you'll be thrown off. Mm. Uh, which gives us confidence that if we're doing things that are on the Jesus trajectory, they will be honored, they will be multiplied, and ultimately Jesus will take his rightful reign here mm. when he comes again. And then last one, probably the most encouraging is if we look at the new heavens and the earth, all problems will be solved. Yeah. Which means that all problems are solvable. But it also means that we can contribute, but we will never solve the problem. So there's a healthy tension there to say, God, use me now, but also to say, I'm not the one who's going to mm. finally solve the problem. So, yeah. Uh, so you actually answered the question I was going to ask. It was a part B. You know, when Jesus said the poor will always be with you, yeah. that wasn't a statement to, to you know, abdicate and kind of say, well, you know, no. give up because it's, it's going to say this challenge will always be in front of you guys. Yeah. Take up the challenge. Yeah. You know, y- you're not going to solve the whole problem, yeah. but you're going to solve parts of that. Yeah. Would you agree with that? Yeah, 100%. And so it was basically to say, do not lose heart. Mm-hmm. Just because they're with you doesn't mean you failed. Mm-hmm. They're there to refine you. They're there to show God's love to the world. But you're not meant to solve it, but you are being used yeah. to alleviate the pain. Yeah. And then just quickly on the framework, the way that I've been taught and I've come to appreciate is in terms of looking at challenges, is you start not with your talents, which is what the Western world has taught us, is who does God want you to love Start with the people first. Hmm. Uh, How does he want you to love them? What do you need in order to love them that way? And then only finally, what do you have and what's missing and where do you get that? So starting with the people and then working your way back to 
you, not the other way around. Today, it's all about what is my talent mm. and how can I use it. That's also, I think, perhaps a more self-centered approach to yeah. the problems of the world. That is a roundabout approach, Paul. I like that. Good thinking. Thanks for the challenge. Cool. <laughs> redemptive capital uh, invests in redemptive businesses. All right. So we're not talking about the giveaway. We're talking about the businesses that you guys are investing in. Yeah. How do you define a redemptive business? So, I mean, that's, we've struggled uh, quite a bit to put words down, to clear words down on a piece of paper. But the reality is the way I, we see redemptive is businesses that fight the effects of sin in the world that pull the arc of the, uh, the history's trajectory back towards the new kingdoms and the new earth. So remember, all trajectories yep. point towards Christ. Like there are obviously certain trajectories that point another way. How do businesses get involved in pulling that trajectory back? And the reason that that's been important for us to define is if we ourselves aren't redemptive in our business, meaning as in funders, yeah. how on earth can we support, find, filter, and support redemptive businesses on the ground. So we've had to rethink a lot of what does it mean to be an investor. Mm. And one of the common things that happens in the VC space is you have a, a spray and pr not pray. Uh, you put money into 10 and hopefully one is your jackpot and that makes up the return for everyone. And we feel that that's actually a very Darwinian evolutionary approach, survival of the fittest. Mm. We start off with actually what problems need to be solved. We have a covenantal relation to that problem, meaning until we die, we're going to look at this problem. And then it's a matter of figuring out when to get involved and how to get involved and who to get involved. Mm. Uh, and then, so yeah, it starts with the problem. The framework that I've given you, we do exactly the same. So we look at the problems on the ground. We look at what's broken. What are the effects of the fall that we're seeing? And is there a way of reinstituting kingdom principles in a business to multiply those principles in a way that serves the people? And in our case, our people are the low-income South Africans mm. um, and their families. Just give me that definition again of a redemptive business. I think that's worth repeating. So a redemptive business is, is a business that fights the effects of sin in the world and pulls the historic or the arc of history back towards mm. the new kingdoms and the new, new so earth. So what I love about that is when we look at Jesus' miracles, so, so many people look at that and say that's a suspension of the natural order of things. Yeah. But the truth is, Jesus never wrote his name in the sky. Jesus never said, look at me, I can fly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All the miracles he did were to help people. Mm. And it was almost a restoration of the natural order of things. Yes. In other words, this is how it should be. Yeah. What, world, what the world is currently like is not how it should be. And that's why I love the, the definition that you guys have of redemptive business. So yeah, and just to add to that, a lot of people, non-Christians, worldviews, have now consoled themselves. And the point that they reach is, death is natural. See, uh, Tim Keller references Lion King, um, the circle of life. Yes. <laughs> but actually, from a Christian perspective, it is not natural. The natural order was what God originally intended. Yeah. And we're part of the process of pulling that back. Yeah. Brilliant. Uh, Paul, you're a serial entrepreneur, all right? But a redemptive serial entrepreneur. So Attempting. <laughs> attempting. <laughs> so how is that different from... Uh, you know, a, a run-of-the-mill entrepreneur, if you have a run-of-the-mill entrepreneur, in other words, a secular entrepreneur, if you like. So if you, we talk about this idea of a creator, and only God is the true creator because he truly took uh, nothing and turned it into something. Uh, I, I sometimes say, and I know a lot of entrepreneurs say, you know, we, we turn nothing into something, but the reality is we do start with the something. real world. We do start with something. So being an entrepreneur is to say, uh, what are the raw building blocks that God has given me and how can I turn into a, a better valued goods to serve God's kingdom? 
Uh, and so my mission, very different from an opportunity, is less about exploiting an opportunity, which, I mean, that's a neutral thing idea, I think. Uh, but the idea is that neutral thing needs to sit on a intended trajectory. Is that intended trajectory your own wealth? So I'm exploiting this opportunity to make myself more money. Mm. I'm exploiting this opportunity so that I can be on Fortune magazine. Or I'm pursuing this opportunity because God's people need the service. Mm. And that is, I think, the biggest difference. It's the motivation for why we pursue opportunities. Mm. And there's obviously a whole bunch of downstream things that you need to consider, but that would be the starting point. Brilliant. Yeah, people need the service. Not, not yeah. just God's people, but God's people. As people need the service. Yeah, Amen. Yeah. Um, we've got a few extra minutes, so I'd love to throw this question, question at you, if you don't mind. Sure. Gleaning. All right. You've got a lovely principle of, of gleaning with redemptive capital. It's a good farming term. Uh, but how does that term work in, in a business environment? So gleaning, I think primarily is about um, leaving opportunities for the disadvantage. So as far as I understand it, uh, in, uh, it, the Israelites, they could harvest from their fields, but they couldn't harvest it to the edges because they needed to leave mm. uh, a space for the widows and the foreigners to be able to, with dignity, uh, pick their own food, mm. or harvest their own food and, and obviously grind it or whatever they needed to do. In our world, unfortunately, this idea of a monopoly is the best business model or trying to get as much or remove the oxygen from the room and compete to everyone uh, else's detriment, that is not kingdom-like. Gleaning is kingdom-like. So what does it mean? So when you compete for that specific person in that specific segment, are you the best business model? Are you the best packaged value proposition for that? Or do you need another business to actually fill that gap? The reason why I said it is a medic clinic in its current format servicing the township market is not going to work because they're going to pay a premium mm. because it just doesn't fit the township market. So the best approach is to actually allow the opportunity for another type of company to come through. And that's actually, in the world's terms, we call it disruption because there was a gap, mm. right? In terms of your employees, are you taking up all of their productive time so that they can't use it for anything else? Mm. Are you leaving time in the rest of their life given that you've got so much influence for them to be productive in other ways? And then uh, in terms of your clients, are you, I'll go out and say it, Netflix, one of the investment statements, they said one of their competitors was a husband taking his wife out for dinner. They're trying to maximize the time they want to take away from a family. And that's not cleaning. Cleaning says, actually, at some point, we don't want you to watch anymore because mm. we want you to spend time with your family. Mm. And so kind of leaning for those three stakeholders. I'm glad you mentioned that because there is this company that's recently launched that's trying to get families to watch television yes. together and engage around the content they just see. Yeah, You know, exactly. watch the space. <laughs> Don't say what it is. <laughs> Paul, thank you so much. Really fascinating. Love the way you think. Love your approach to redemptive business and yeah, all the best to redemptive capital. May you go on to the next 49 years of, of really great impactful work. Thanks, Thanks for your time, Paul. Cool. Awesome.